0: In Japan, when pottery is made and things are broken, you think, well, let's just rip it, throw it away. They don't throw it away. They repair it. And they repair it with gold. Now, you look at that. Is that not beautiful? But it's broken. That thing is almost of more value now than it was before. And get the thinking. Here's this. It says, kinsuki, meaning golden joinery in Japan, is the art of repairing cracked and broken pottery with the joinings of gold more like everything pat says is gold am i right anyway this is part two of pat goodman sharing with the young life staff if you haven't heard part one pause go back and listen to part one because you'll need to and it's amazing like i said you want to take some notes at the end we'll kind of go through what's the one takeaway hope you enjoy I wish Holly was here. You know, Holly talked about this word shalom this morning. You guys remember that? And it means wholeness or peace and that kind of thing. Get this. The Hebrew University in Tel Aviv, you know how they define shalom? This is so beautiful. Nothing missing and nothing broken. You think about the kingdom. When Jesus came, this is crazy, but, you know, Jesus really didn't come just to die on the cross. That almost sounds heretical, doesn't it? Because if he did, he could have done it a lot sooner. You know, he did come to die on a cross, but he came to set in motion the kingdom of God on earth. This is why we pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the hallowed be thy name. May thy... Keep going. On as it is in... See, this is why we often think of salvation as getting out of earth to heaven. That's very Greek-minded. Hebrews thought one of the visions of salvation is we actually make earth better. That we make here the way it ought to have been when God actually created it. You may need to know this, that the fall didn't scrap the original plan of creation. It shattered it, it messed it up a little bit, but we didn't erase it. And so this is very, very important. So Jesus set in motion this vision of salvation, which really means health, wholeness, and security. It implies a return to a previously good place. And so it isn't simply about getting out of earth and just enduring earth until I get to go to heaven. We get to go to heaven, that is the icing on the cake, but we get to live and to bring more of God's shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken reality to our day-to-day lives. This is what makes what people do every single day so profoundly holy and powerful. So let me just review a little bit and then we're going to jump on to some more things tonight. Last night we began to talk about this fact of how powerful desire is, would you agree with that? That as much as we might think our way through life, I think in many ways we actually want or desire our way through lives, our lives. And that one of the reasons desire is so deeply imprinted in us, it is here to stay. It's not going away. It's not if you're going to desire. It's just what are you going to desire, how much will you desire, and will it be ordered or disordered in its vision and orientation. And the reason for that is, is that you and I are not... Just something God did on the side that he actually anticipated us. He created us like I talked to you about, I tried to do with a glass blower, that that guy thought about what he wanted to make before he made it. He wasn't just throwing something into the fire and hoping that beautiful thing came out. There was design. There was imagination. Think of this. God imagined you and me before he ever created us. He's the ultimate imagineer. This is why our imaginations are so important. And he did it intently, purposefully. And so if we say that we're made in the image of God, certainly that means many things that we don't have time to go into tonight. But it definitely means this, that if our God wanted us and he's a God of desire, then you and I will actually be people who want things. And there is something called wisdom that goes with desire. Our desires can get misaligned with how things are truly meant to be and function. This is why in Proverbs, it's so profound, Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom is speaking in the first person, and it basically starts saying, did I not stand at the corner and scream out to you? It's so beautiful. And it says that God created me before he created anything in the earth. For the mountains that, you know, that, that, that are high or the oceans and how far the oceans come in and go out, the last few verses say this, wisdom speaking, whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. But whoever does not find me harms himself. Get this. And whoever hates me loves death. So there is this thing that we are meant to function in, and what I was trying to say, that our deepest desire and the most aligned reality of wisdom is this honoring of connection that Jesus Christ talked about. Proverbs would say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus in John 15 says that wisdom is when we do what? when we abide in him, when we honor the connection that is hardwired into us. Now, you know in John's gospel, there are seven I am's. We don't have time to go into all of them. You guys know many of these, I think, that I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the what? Vine. It's Jesus' last I am in the gospel of John. And um, this is really important because one of the things that we said again last night is that last words matter. And so Jesus gives a picture, not just a sermon. And he's given them something that they can see again and again and again and again. Every time these guys would go by vineyards, they'd get it. Like, oh, yeah, that's it, the connection, the connection, the connection. And all I think that um, I was trying to say last night was to help us begin to lean in to this reality of the, the, you and I were created, that there is nothing. This seems so simple to say that we shouldn't even have to say it, but there is nothing more important than our relationship with Jesus Christ. But everything in your life will try to pull you away from the thing that's most important. I have done a number of weddings, and I literally look at each couple and I say to you, to them, you have absolutely no clue what you're signing up for how many of you in this room who are married it's different than you thought it was going to be <laughs> look around the room <laughs> I heard somebody say if you want to know what marriage is like before you want to do it here's what we ought to do we ought to get the groom and the bride up the future bride and groom up in the middle of the night in their pajamas just get them out of bed in their different places take them to a centralized place no brushing your teeth have them stand there and look at each other at their worst you don't get a chance to do any body and fender work before you get there you're there and then in the background play a tape of a crying child in the middle of the night and ask them, do you still want to do this? Now, again, I'm not trying to be like it's all, but it, it is kind of that. There are days like that with the Lord, right? Some people, I don't know, That's just like that, I don't, I don't know. Here's what I wanted to, to just reaffirm. I was trying last night, my wife said, honey, you know, you missed a few of those verses, trying to memorize that, and just sharing it. And I purposely was trying that because I want to get it in me every time we can. This word abide, again, it's a Greek present tense, meaning you do it now, you do it now, you do it now, you do it now. Another way to say it is, it's a word of like kind of make your home. I kind of give you the image of your favorite chair with a cup of coffee or hot cocoa or chai tea, whatever you like. But you're there, you're in that place, you just never want to leave it. It's like, that's it. Just remain. Stay in this place. Because here's the deal. You and I are not who he is. And um, he is not who we are. And this is a who's who and a what's what passage. If you just stay there and realize this, you will have everything you need to do what you need to do. Isn't that encouraging? Now, the question is, do you believe this? I've heard so many people say this. I'm going to go out into the world for God. I'm going to go on Young Life staff for God. Isn't that crazy? I'm going to be in the world for God. Why don't you just be in God and then go be in the world? Instead of act like God needs us, he uses us. You know, a branch, and you guys know this doesn't go like, oh, God. Man. The only thing that the branch can do that's smart is guard this connection because when this happens, it's life-giving, it's abide. So I'm going to give you three little quick ways to do that, and then we're going to talk about why some people fall off the train, okay, and try to encourage you tonight a little bit, quickly. And, uh, man, it's frustrating when you got a lot of good things you want to talk about. Okay. This word abide, I want to tell you, it's much more of an art than a science, at least in my life. It'd be nice. We all want four steps. Tell me four steps. Here's the deal. Whenever I'm getting books anymore, maybe it's because of my age, when it's like five steps to a spirit-filled life, three steps to no more lustful thoughts, ten ways to make sure God never leaves you. I'm like, I'm not buying that book. I just wish it was that easy. Here's what I know. Working with people's messy. I'm messy. Are you messy? I'll prove to you you're messy. You and I have had crazy things go through our brains while we've been here, and you didn't even try to think it. And you don't want anybody to know what you thought. We're crazy, and we love Jesus. Like, we actually read the Bible this morning. This is who we are. We need the Lord. So let me tell you a couple of things that have helped me, and this is fluid, all right? Number one, you've got to align yourself and ask yourself this question, do I believe that this is true? Is this wisdom or not? Did Jesus have it right or not? Is it like, okay, Lord, I'll follow you, and now it's completely up to me? Or do you believe it starts with him, it stays in him, it ends with him? There is nothing more important than my relationship with Jesus Christ. He is not asking me to meet him and then do my thing. When Jesus said this, you will bear fruit, what do you think that word means? Most people think they go to the Apostle Paul in Galatians and think they're fruit of the Spirit. Paul wasn't on the scene when Jesus said this. Now, you can't ever say it's wrong to say the fruit of the Spirit, right? But if you're you're going to produce fruit, we might want to say, what did Jesus mean by fruit when he talked about fruit in John 15? Because Paul hadn't been converted yet, and the book of Galatians hadn't been written yet. So one of the things that Jesus was doing was bringing life in the kingdom. He was demonstrating the kind of values and personality and dynamic and power that was taking over the world. I think that's part of it. I don't have that in me. But the question is this, do you believe that what you and I need to actually be Jesus in this world, that it really comes from Jesus? Who's the only person that can really live like Jesus Christ? Anybody have any ideas? Jesus Christ. So you have to answer this, I have to answer every day. Do I really believe I need Jesus Christ? That's one. Number two, here's something that really, really helps me. Colossians 1.27 says this, <clears throat> this is a mystery of the ages, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I've tried to learn this, that Jesus Christ isn't like looking down and going, oh, geez, I hope you get it right today. No, 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 that's not right. It's more like this, if I can, because you get, it's more like he's sitting with us or next to us, but really he's in us. And uh, we're, we're good, we're good, we're I'm going to tell you that, yeah. And he's basically saying, hey, so what are you struggling about? You just go through your own life, and he's talking to you every minute of the day. But see, here's the problem. You'll struggle with stuff, worry about stuff, but you never talk to me about it throughout the day. You just keep struggling with it. And he goes, you know, I'm here to listen. Oh, man, I wonder why. I should. I wonder that kid. Guys, I wonder, what should I do over there? I don't know what I ought to do. What I, do? Uh, I, I have some ideas. You want to talk to me about that? No. God, I wonder what I ought to do. I got a club talk tonight. Man, uh, what, should I pr- what should I talk about? Wow, Uh, I wrote the scriptures. Would you want me to help you with that? (laughs) Do you see what I'm, we we, we almost live this life saying we follow God, but in our minds we're detached from God. Uh, what What I was trying to model inadequately is simply this. If Christ is in us, like tonight when we go to the bowling alley, Steve, right? Jesus Christ is going in that bowling alley. And when you roll a ball down the lane, I know this is crazy, but he's doing that in you. Jesus Christ is rolling a ball down the lane in you. You go to Starbucks. He walks into Starbucks. What if you could learn to just abide and go, gosh, Lord, how are you doing right now? Like, um, You have something going on, say, hey, Lord, what, what do you think about that? And you just keep your mouth shut. Like, do you think God wants your leaders to grow? So here's what he's going okay, I'm going to plan. I've got to plan what my leaders need. I'm going to plan. I've done, I'm only telling you, this is my mistakes. Instead of saying, Lord, I don't quite know what we need to do, but I think that you'll speak to me. So, Father, what do you want? Speak to me. You just be quiet. Give him space. You know what? An idea might actually come into your brain. He might not speak right then, but maybe over the course of the week, you might have some theme come up. Something may hit you, and it's so profoundly strong, you have to do it. Here's what I'm saying. We are not following a dead, static God. He's a living, he's alive, and living in him is walking. Like the whole time I'm running, I'm talking to the Lord. I'm talking to him about what to talk about tonight. I think that's abiding in Christ. You have a crazy thought go through your head. Hey, Lord, where'd that one come from? Will you take that from me, Lord? You just, it's a constant. Does this make sense? I can't do this for you. I'm talking about me. I just know, I believe this. I've done this the wrong way. It does not work. It leads to migraines and back spasms. Here's the third way that really has helped me. The other one is um, follow the nudges. Follow the nudges. You know, people say, well, God told me. I say, well, man, if God told you, you better do it like yesterday. But here's what I know. I don't know how God speaks to you. I don't think he screams and yells, at least in the scriptures. It's mostly that quiet voice that nudges. When you feel a nudge like, gosh, wow. They got to text them. Do it. And I haven't thought of them in a long time. Like this morning, I keep a certain amount of people's names on my phone to text some guys. that Every now and then I'll look at like, Oh, my gosh, I got to thank God I need to text that guy. I'll just text him. He's thinking about you. Hope things are going well. Just praying for you today. Just do it. A note, have a note, right? No phone call. God, it doesn't make any sense to make that phone call now, but I can't get him off my mind. Make the phone call trust it's the vine speaking to you do you guys want to be fruitful who wants to grow in faith here everybody want to experience Jesus more who doesn't all of us do right here's what you have to do to do that you actually have to live in faith faith means this you take some steps that actually make you trust God everybody wants it man that guy's living for the Lord he's really experiencing the Lord I think Jesus isn't going well yeah it's only for him or her they're the all-star team nobody else like I, I think the vine wants us being as fruitful. It's in that passage, it's fruit, much fruit, more fruit. So I just wanted to you talk about abiding. Maybe that'll help you in your own journey. Here's my question, though. We talked about this little thing, sucker shoots, right? Uh, SS, sucker shoots. I want to talk about this tonight briefly, about the fact is why is it that some people that start this race of faith, this journey of faith, if you will, just kind of, Don't quite make it to the finish line. Do you know what I mean by that? Do you all know anybody in this room that at some point said yes to Jesus Christ, but right now they have no interest in that? I mean, anybody, you guys raise your hand? See, look around the room. I mean, that's almost every one of us in this room. What happened? Now, I will say some of this, I don't know what happened, but I do believe this, that every one of us in the course of time is going to have an opportunity at some point in time to get off the faith train. We're going to have a chance that life is going to erupt in your life at some point. And I will say this. Typically, at some point in life, your truest thoughts of God are going to get exposed and tested. Um, And I don't know what it will be for you. I know for us, we lost our first son almost right at birth. That was a big one. We almost lost our daughter who now is 34, almost 35, when she was 18. And I remember... When she was on a ventilator down the hallway, and I could look outside, and the sun was coming up. I was supposed to do a Young Life banquet the night before. I rushed to the hospital. Jessica's on a ventilator. The doctor says these words to us. If anyone's going to die tonight, it's your kid. She's the sickest person in the hospital. And I'm literally looking at her, and the sun's coming up. It's 6 in the morning, and I literally am looking outside, and I have this thought. I got to vote right now using my words i said god like what's going on i said you know lord but i said and it was like pain and beauty like the sun had come up every day for thousands of years and it was going to come up the next day too and god made it come up and he gave us jessica and then i had this thought i said god you know you're going to be good not if jessica just if she lives but you're god no matter what you're not good if she lives and bad if she dies But I've got to decide, am I going to trust you if she dies? And I can't wait for the results to figure this out. So in tears, he said, God, I'm in. And then I remember this passage, the children are a gift from the Lord, not a possession. And I almost felt like God kindly whispered to me, hey, if I told you at birth, you'd only get 18 years, would you have taken them? I said, yes, I would have, Lord. But you know, sometimes you only get that and you think God did me dirty. That's a whole other topic we can talk about. Because, see, we often confuse life with God, don't we? And when life gets ramped up and tough, God doesn't look so good. This is why the Psalms are so beautiful. They're laments. You know, it's okay as a believer to go, Where's God at times? And I think there are people who've left the faith, so to speak, because the community was looking for the right answer, like we had to defend God, like God's not able to be God, and we can't bring our most honest self and him still be there and show up. You know the one who says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know who that was? That was Jesus. Do you think he gets some of this? He is like us in every way, yet without sin. So what I want to do, though, I think one of the key things to take people out of this race more than anything else, and I want to give you a few and show it how it works out, are lies. Lies more than truth. And I didn't know if I was going to do this, but I'm feeling a little compelled to do this because um, I want to show you a little bit of how this works. Because think about this. In Genesis chapter 3, um, God said what to Adam and Eve Genesis chapter 2? He goes, you can eat of any tree in the garden except what? One. God's basically saying, you can do a million things. I just, I'm going to make this really simple. <laughs> I just don't want you to do one thing. And what was that one thing? Do you guys know what it was? Knowledge. Knowledge of good and evil. And underneath that was really this. Will you trust me? Will you have an exclusive, loyal love with me? Okay? That's all I'm asking of you. And Adam and Eve, basically, um, we don't have time to go into it right now, but they see a tree, and it's good for food. I'm sure it is. God, it, it's, got admit, it's not bad, right? It was pleasing to the eyes. That's not the point either. And then they begin, it's desirable to make one. What? It was desirable to make one. They already were wise, but they wanted to be more than what they already were. So many people think, boy, Adam and Eve sinned. Their sins when they ate the apple. that uh, sin was really their behavior. I would say, no, 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 no. There's a sin beneath the sin. The sin wasn't in what they did. The sin is in what they wanted. What they wanted was that they wanted to be more than what they were. This is powerful because um, this illustration, and if, and if you've ever heard me share about this, I don't know if you have, but just bear with me. This might be of help to you. This is has served me over the years in a profound way because this is a little iceberg, and you guys know that you only see about 10 to 15% of an iceberg, right? You guys get that, which, um, which means how much of you don't see? 85%. This You guys are so smart. This is the part above the waterline. You could say this is what is public or what is visible, all right? This is the part that sunk the Titanic. Interestingly, which part do you think we stress more when it comes to following Jesus Christ? What's visible or hidden? Visible. Exactly right. Do you ever think there's many people who don't want to follow Jesus? Because for them, following Jesus means it's what you can't do, not what you love. And whenever you think of sin, people always go up here. They always talk about their behavior. They talk about what they do. It's interesting, the prophets don't describe sin this way. I'll I'll prove it to you guys in just a minute. But this is what is so, so important in this vision. I think we live up in this, literally, behavior modification, and so, so often, for many people, they forget this, and following Jesus is about just getting the right behavior right. And so, if we're honest, we should say to kids this summer that meet, Jesus at camp, hey, you guys, it's really great you met the Lord. You're going to go to heaven, but you need to know this. In two years, you're going to feel way worse about yourself than you do right now. You're going to feel ten times more guilty because now you're not going to be praying enough. You're not going to be reading enough. You're going to still have lustful thoughts occasionally. You're still going to want to do stuff that you're told you shouldn't want to do. Because, see, you're new in Christ. The, you're, any man who's in Christ, they're new in Christ. The, the new has come and what? you know we ripped that text that is 2 Corinthians 5.17? And that thing has hurt more people. Because here's what you do to kids. You say, oh, Steve, you're new in Christ. The newest, you know, the oldest past, the newest come. And Steve's going, well, if the old past, all I know is this. My drinking buddies didn't come to camp. And when I got home, they were still drinking, and I'd still like to drink. But I met Jesus. And so I'm not going to do it. And I'm good for two weeks. And finally, I want my friendship so much because she will see this. You're actually hardwired to want to belong. And I don't know how to say no to something I want. So I get drawn in through my friendship, which is a heart longing and end up drinking and I feel bad about it. And then I see you at the high school. And I don't know how to come to campaigners because I just did something we're not supposed to do. Does this make any sense to you guys? You don't have to answer this, but how many of you have gone to a "quote God meeting, and felt like crap going in there because your scorecard was low? Uh-huh. How many of those meetings you want to go to in your life? Saying, if I bring my truest self here, my truest self ain't welcome here. It, 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 this happened. Do you know, this is so crazy, but we think about this stuff, and we miss this so easily. But Proverbs says it this way, Proverbs 4.23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Springs of life is a place of origin. It literally is a place, or in another translation, might say the wellspring of life. A wellspring is a place of origin. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 43. He says, you know, a fig tree doesn't produce, I mean, a uh, 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 Yeah, a grape tree doesn't produce thorns, nor does a thorn bush produce figs. For each tree produces after its own fruit. This is so great. You see, the good man, out of the good stored up in his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man brings forth what is evil. In essence, your heart's going to do what it is. Now, here's what's really crazy. In Mark chapter um, 7, real, real quickly, Jesus takes the disciples into the marketplace and they're buying things and they're touching pagans and, you know, the Gentiles and they and basically the Pharisees are watching this. And then the it, it's almost like Jesus takes the disciples to Chick-fil-A and they go in the playground area and don't get their hands clean with some of that, you know, gel cleaner or something. They start eating their chicken nuggets and the religious guys are there and they just freak out about it. And Jesus goes, oh yeah, man, that's a problem. I don't like that, that's bad. He goes, you know, you guys honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. See, you've taken the commandments of God and almost ignored them to your own traditions and he goes don't you know that anything that goes into a person doesn't make them unclean for there's a way if dirt goes into a person god has, he has a way to get that out of your body it's called going to the bathroom he doesn't say it that way but that's totally inferred there but he goes if you really care about cleanliness you see that pharisees had this thing called the tohoroth laws it was 200 pages of cleanliness laws this was like pots, pans, how you wash your hands, how far the water could literally go down your arm. These guys were like, they started good. They got a little a wall on this thing. And Jesus goes, if you really care about cleanliness, you've got to look for somewhere else. He goes, see, if you really care about cleanliness, all these things come from within a man and make him unclean. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed. And he just goes on and on and on. He goes, all these things come from within, within a man's heart and make him unclean. He's basically saying, if you really cared about behavior, you wouldn't talk about it that much. You'd talk about this. The heart in Scripture, we often think about it as a place of emotion. Mark chapter two says Jesus says this. Jesus, knowing Mark two eight what they were thinking in their. How do you think with your heart? How do you think with your heart? You don't. If you think like we're taught in America. But for a Hebrew, the heart was the center of everything. It's where your will and your thoughts and your desires and your emotions all converge. It was your core. It was a center out of which you lived. Now here's what I know. This is what the evil one taps into. I don't know about your heart. Mine doesn't look that good. We've had some cracks and gaps taken out. Would you guys believe that? See, it's not if we have it. It's just what Holly was talking about this morning. The question is, how does it get shaped? This is why watch over it with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. And here's what happens. In our lives, we have things that actually happen from above the water line that make deposits down into this thing called our heart. Would you agree with that? Let me put it to you another way. How many of you in this room, your parents got divorced? How many for some of you was under the age of 10? That's me. How many under the age of 15? Great. How many of you, um, you don't have to answer this, have had something said to you that was really, really painful? Yeah. How many of you have ever been filled to made to feel like you're not enough? Anybody? The, these things are real experiences. you understand? Like these things really happened, right? See, they're true, right? But here's what happens with every experience comes a UPS truck with messages. And the messages that often get delivered through the true experience are lies. And when a lie gets believed as a truth, you know what it does? It takes up residence, and we begin to live in bondage. This is crazy. I remember when I was eight years old learning to read, my dad, driving around the D.C. Beltway, I could read George Avenue, Wheaton, George Avenue, and I knew I had 10 minutes till my dad was going to drop me off. And my little 8-year-old heart started to beat, and I started to get emotional, but I needed to be strong because I didn't want my dad to feel bad. And he would drive into our driveway, and he'd get out of the car, and after hunting and fishing and having a great weekend, he'd get down on one knee, and he would hug me, and I would run inside, and I would totally fall apart. I was Decimated for two days, got together one day. Next two days, I'm so excited because he's coming back. We'd go and have a great weekend. And damn, if it didn't happen again Sunday afternoon at 5, that same sign. Year after year after year. To the point where I subconsciously said, I'm never feeling that again. And I learned as a little boy how to not say goodbye to people. I did whatever it took in my life to not get close to pain, conflict, got in that field for me. I didn't want to deal with it. Then I got married. Now, I'm not, I don't have time to go, ahead, but ladies, let me ask you this. So there would be days where Betsy, she's here, she can verify this. she goes, go, honey, what's wrong? What do you think I said? Do you think she asked me what was wrong because I was acting right? <laughs> so, you know, two hours later, hey, honey, what's wrong? And I said... Mm-hmm. That's called lying now, though I didn't interpret it that way. But for me, see, I didn't know what to do. So here's what happened. I'm in a 33-year-old body acting like a 9-year-old kid. This is called something called a freeze point. And a freeze point is when you have an experience or something happen in your life that impacts you deeply and you never look at it, you never face it, You never conquer it, and it has you. And whatever age that that happened at, that's where you stay. So I'm down to helping up mission, and this guy from the back of the room one day goes, oh, so you mean like when your old man tells you you're a piece of crap and you'll never be like your brother? I go, how old are you? He goes, 44? I go, hmm. I go, when when did you hear that? He goes, nine? Have you been living around for 35 years? He goes, oh, it's a lot worse. I work a lot with men. You know, watching a 48-year-old man have a temper tantrum is not a good thing. I would even say this. I know that their couples, if they could video their arguments and conflicts and then watch their conflict, they would go, is that really us? That looks like some junior hires. That looks like something I saw in high school. That, that wasn't us, nice, was it? Yep. Yeah. But see, you're new in Christ. The new has come and the old is gone. And we're going to club tonight, and I'm talking about Jesus. And you go, oh, there's three of me in there. No, no, there's just one of you, but it's crazy. Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> and we don't want to feel this pain. We don't know what to do with it. So what we do, because see, this heart, you are hardwired, and so am I, for significance. You can't live well without it. We're not meant to. This is, this is what we're, God has put this all these that we're meant to find in him. You ask any psychologist, no human being lives well without a sense of significance and, and the value of their life or security or belonging. It just doesn't work. You can't live well without these things. These is It's not if these needs are going to be met. It's simply how. And so here's the powerful thing. These voices, which I mean are like experiences, think of it this way, they're, If your heart's like Plato, but we have these real experiences that have a voice, if you will, that comes from them and makes deposits into us like, you're not enough. You're damaged goods. You'll never be that good. Nobody else would want you. Why do you think people would be interested in that? You're afraid. You're not as good at that as someone else. Why would you even try? We have all these things going in us. They're lies, but they're a real voice. And there's a louder voice. And you and I have to hear this, right? You know what it is? It's Matthew 16, where Jesus asks the disciples, who do men say I am? They go, well, Lord, some say John the Baptist and Elijah. And he goes, okay, wrong, wrong. Who do you say I am? Peter goes, you're Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Oh, blessed are you, Simon. Now, Simon, you know, I'm going to go to the cross. In three days, I'm going to rise again. Jesus, can we have a talk for a second? Come here. And he kind of rebukes the Lord. And then the Lord goes, thank you, Peter. I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, that really. Peter, he looks at Peter and he goes, get behind me. Listen, of all the things I would want Jesus to call me. That is the last. But I don't think it was about Peter. See, Peter was trying to protect a friend from going to a cross, but was going to reconcile and bring liberation for humanity. And what Jesus is trying to say is, look, there are a lot of false false voices that are holding people in bondage, including us, and some of us still need to hear the voice of Jesus saying, no, I will not, not go to the cross. You have to be liberated. If there's any other way, Father, let it be done. And if there is no other way, See, I don't know that this. this is a Jesus playing his desire card. But if there's no other way, I don't want to die like that. But Father, I want what you want more than I want what I want at this moment. So Father, if there's no other way, I want what you want. And what we really want is that people would be restored to the wholeness that you created them for. And until you and I are willing to say, Not just what did the cross mean as far as me getting me to heaven, but what did the cross mean to the voices that hold me back? Things like Jesus also said, like the troubles of this world. Matthew, Mark, I mean, excuse me, Mark chapter 2. Jesus was really, really clear in John 16. In this world, you're going to have what? Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You're going to have trouble. That takes some people out if this heart isn't healed. I think sometimes, you know, the worries of this life, it's so interesting to talk to college kids and go to say to them, your life, it, it, it only gets worse from here out. This is the, if you think, man, they go, man, I got it really tough. I got a class at 10. <laughs> got a little break. Got to have a part-time job. And then, yeah, Tuesday's schedule is pretty tough, too. I got an 8 o'clock that day and then another one at 1. <laughs> Time you go to bed, 2? Hmm, that's a tough day. What time do you get up? Well, Wednesday's not till 11, because I don't have a class till 12. I go, dude, this is the easiest time of your life. You better sit tight and buckle up. Because, you know, things, they get, and Jesus said, look, you can worry if you want to, or you can learn from the birds and the lilies. They don't worry. God takes care of them. But, you know, if you think, if some a real experience has been deposited in you, like, nobody looks out for me. I got to look out for me. Nobody else is on my team. I know I love God, but if I don't worry about it, nobody else will. Knock yourself out. And you know, the amount of lies that you believe is the amount of bondage you'll live in, even in the Lord. And the amount of truth that you know is the amount of freedom that you'll have. And so, what I'm saying to you, if you're serious about Jesus Christ, He's not going to let this stuff go undealt with. And He will use your time on staff, He will use relationships. If you find yourself perpetually avoiding places, People, types of conversations, because of fear, anxiety, uncertainty, it might be time to look back and go, where would I come from? At some point, I had to look because my wife said to me, look, honey, we're better than this. You're better than this. I love you. I ain't leaving you, but I didn't sign up for this kind of craziness, so what are we going to do about it? And she basically was saying to me very kindly, you're 33. It's time to get the emotional part of you to line up with the body part of you. We got to do that, and you can. And this is profoundly significant with the Lord because spiritual formation, I believe this, is way more about orienting our affections than it is about modifying your behavior. And here's the deal: you look at spiritual disciplines. You know what spiritual disciplines are trying to really touch? Are they try to just change you up here, or change you down here. They're changing you down here. And if this is good, you'd live differently here. But it's authentic. You actually want to. This is why what God wants. This is why the prophets, when they talked about sin, they didn't talk about what they did. You know, a number of years ago, real quickly, and then I want to tell you two quick stories and show you a couple pictures. We still got a few minutes, Steve, 10 minutes? 10. 10. Uh, I was thinking about, you know, trying to think, how do we talk about sin with kids? And I said, gosh, I'm going to talk about an illustration I know they'll all get. So I said, I'm going to learn from the prophets. You know, the prophets talk about sin as spiritual adultery. You could say this, getting in bed with the wrong idol, giving your affection to what you never were meant to. Read Jeremiah, read Hosea. So I literally, I, I, one week I said, hey, kids, I, I remember this. I said, I want you to just think about that. You finally find the person in your dreams and you love them. You finally get married one day. And I just played out this whole scene where they came home one day and they actually found their lover in bed with another lover. And I said, what would you guys think? And honestly, kids were like, kill his ass. Shoot. I'm not kidding you, man. Like kids were like mad. They were like, blah. And I go, let me tell you what. That's exactly what we've done to God. Except one thing, all he wants to do is restore what you've broken. That sin at its core is saying no to the greatest lover of your soul who wants nothing more than he asks us is for loyalty and fidelity. You know, no human relationship works without loyalty and fidelity. Again, I work with a lot of men. I don't know one man who's ever said, you know, who's had an affair, say, you know what, hey, Goody, I'm thinking about taking my wife and, that other woman out for dinner and thanking them both for making my life so great. That has never happened. And and rightly so. But see, if, 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 if sin is more than just what I do, if sin is about the wrong thing orienting my life that then produces craziness, because really what we're doing, people do crazy things, not because they want crazy. They're looking for significant security or belonging. They just don't know where to go. It's just like the men in home. They're helping a mission. They didn't. I said, how many of you thought, boy, when I'm 10, I want to blow my life up and kill my marriage, my relationship with my kids, and at 38 years old, be in a rep- recovery program? Not one of them. But here's the good news of our God. He uses broken things, doesn't he? Isn't that awesome? You know, we don't have time to, but Peter, I love Peter. Like, Peter gets a hard time, but let me just tell you this. He's the only dude that's ever walked on water. Whenever people talk about that passage, they always talk about him falling in. I'd love to fall in after I walked on water. I think every one of us would, too. And sometimes, you know... We're doing great, and then something else gets our attention. We fall in, and Jesus, you know, it's great because the Scripture, Jesus said Jesus picked him up and shook him and said, you are such a sorry, flippant excuse for a disciple. Get on the deck of that boat. I mean, you know that's crazy, right? In Luke chapter 22, Jesus literally looks at Peter. and He goes, Peter, the evil one has asked for a chance to sift you as wheat. <laughs> what? And he goes, here's Jesus, but I prayed for you. And then he says this, and after you come back, which means what? You're going away. Then he says, encourage the others. Isn't that awesome? And here's what Peter does. But 20 verses later, the cock crows for the third time. Peter looks at Jesus. And Jesus looks at Peter. And Peter leaves and weeps. And the next time he sees a master, it's all different. Because, see, we have a God that when you deny him, he makes you breakfast on the beach. Because he sees in you what you don't see. And then you write a book called First and 2 Peter. And you give the first sermon in the book of Acts and 3,000 people meet Jesus. You know why? Because you sunk in the flippant Sea of Galilee. And you said, let's make three temples when God said only make one. And you correct Jesus when he says, who touched me? He goes, Lord, everybody's touching you. Can we just have this talk like you're really messing this up? <laughs> no, no, no. This is my man. I want to show you something real quick. I just learned about this. It's called kintsugi art. I don't know if you guys have ever heard about this. Can you put this up real quick, um, Jordan? I want to read you something about this. This is uh, real true pottery. Um, and here's what this thing is. In Japan, when pottery is made and things are broken, you think, well, let's just rip it, throw it away. They don't throw it away. They repair it. And they repair it with gold. Now, you look at that. Is that not beautiful? But it's broken. That thing is almost of more value now than it was before. And get the thinking. Here's this. It says, kinsuki, meaning golden joinery in Japan, is the art of repairing cracked and broken pottery with the joinings of gold. It says, as an object has been damaged, it says, then it has more of a history. I love that. And it says, and should therefore be celebrated and highlighted rather than hidden and discarded. It should be embraced because of the flaws that have now been healed. Get this, out of suffering have emerged the strongest souls and the most massive characters are seared with scars. Let me read you one final thing. It says, Kintsuki is a powerful metaphor for the human experience. To make a mistake is to be human. I would say to have damaged hearts is to be human. And to suffer damage is to be human. But to wear our scars proudly is also, I would say, thinking another train of thinking to bring the very redemption of God so that our journey can be filled with joy and not simply sadness. And those who have scars, if they understand them, only become more powerful because of them. You know what a scar says? It's healed. That woe is a wound. Is now a place that demonstrates there is healing. Isn't this awesome? 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says that we are broken vessels that God uses. You're more valuable than you know. But I think a lot of people get off the faith train because real experiences have deposited crazy messages that you have held on to be true for yourself that are from the pit of hell itself. And I think that is why when Lazarus comes out of the grave and he's alive, but he's walking like this, Jesus says, take off the what? The grave clothes. Because you're dressed inappropriately. You're alive and you're looking dead. How alive do you want to be? I pray to God that you want to be alive enough that you can say to people one day, hey, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you about this scar. Maybe you can't yet, but there'll be a day. I couldn't have stood up here 20 years ago and told you about some of that stuff in my marriage. And I could go into more. But, you know, I mean God's healed me. About 80%. There's still times like, well, I don't know if I want to talk about that now. And the Lord goes, knock, knock. We still got a little work to do. So I want to read you a quick little true story. You know, one of the most beautiful things um, about butterflies is, you know what a butterfly is before it's a butterfly? You guys remember what it is? It's a caterpillar, right? And a caterpillar, interestingly, a guy came up to me once. He goes, you know, I think I know something more about this story than you do. And I go, I'm sure that that's true. And he goes, you know what the DNA of a caterpillar is? I go, I have no idea. He goes, "Um, DNA of a caterpillar is a butterfly. I just need time to become what I am. See, this is sanctification. Jesus Christ already sees you differently than you see yourself. Being sanctified is us learning to see ourselves and live the way he sees us and then living that actual way. All right, so whether you were taking notes or maybe you were listening to this while jogging, I want you to stop, pause, circle the one thing, Or text yourself, what's the one thing you're walking away from? I know for me, the one nugget as I look through my notes is when Pat said, the amount of lies you believe equals the bondage you live in. And the amount of truth you believe equals the freedom you live in. Look forward to part three coming up.